Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper, leading us into battle. It's Claire Williams. I wish, I, if I'm going to, like, if I, went, I was on one of those Navy ships, I definitely want to be the drum guy. I feel like that would be a sweet mm. gig. Just in the, Yeah, it's it's sort of like the guitar guy from Mad Max Fury Road. Road. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, just like, yeah. you know, like the only request so he's given. So you want to be set decoration. Right, yeah. but he's the only request he's given is to drum harder, and I feel like I can do that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm capable. Well, You're very, already going it's a very so hard. Task. Yeah. You it's a very important Yeah. It's yeah, you got to beat to quarters. It's a whole thing you got to do. There's a whole sequence, the whole thing. I, you know, it's, very, it's a very rigorous system going on. I there. mean, yeah. I just, you know, if if I have to get be given an assignment, I feel like that's the assignment to be given. I don't know. I feel like I can kind of mm-hmm. handle that, at least more than the other stuff. Rowing? Ugh. I don't know about that. That yeah, sounds that, like a lot. That's of work. a lot on your arms. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't have. I'm, you know, I'm more of All lower you have body to strength harder. than upper body strength. Yeah. So it's just. No, absolutely. I I feel like there would be a lot of fighting over the drum beating position. I want to do, well. do the like, drums. Oh, I yeah, I want to do, do that. Drums. Yeah, you have to do it last battle. Yeah. <laughs> you got you got to be like the high pitch whistle guy. One of the one of the other. The, whatever. Oh yeah, 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 The mm-hmm. horn guy. You always need a horn guy. Whatever they call it. Someone with a hit with an instrument. It's it's vital. Yeah, better that than like Phoenix shit out the, the toilet or the head. Right, 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 right. Naval Collins. <laughs> I, I, I definitely don't. Pro- yeah, I definitely don't want to be right near the cannon. I think that's like a bad place to be. It seems a little loud. Oh yeah. Sure. There's a lot of. <laughs> like, let's just quiet down. Let's yeah, like no, 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 no noise canceling headphones too. I mean, come on, this is yeah, you know, this is a know. lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't remember that that uh headphone company that you see a bunch of podcasts sponsoring but now i'm imagining like i can't bring my my headphones to to battle like this i want to bring my skull candy headphones yeah, yeah skull candy. yeah <laughs> something like that <laughs> oh my god um we would do awful in this this is like what, not a what good makes time. you say the that i don't know i feel one. like i had the drum yeah. thing kind of down i felt a little confident in that yeah. <laughs> i feel like i'd be offbeat oh, yeah you're like, like oh shit god damn can we start again oh. Restart. Start again, guys. Guys, run it back. Run it back. Yeah. Uh, what do we say? We've we're getting into what we've been watching recently. This is where we talk about what we've been watching recently. Um, like to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, I've been loving the rehearsal. It's the new TV show from Nathan Fielder on uh, the streaming service HBO Max. Um, oh boy. It's it's great. Um, it's it's brilliant. Like. I'm only caught up on the two episodes out of the three that are up at this time, but like, I you just have to see it. It's it's like basically rehe- like dressing up social situations before they even happen. Like the first episode, um, you see this guy who is in a trivia group with his friends, and he's admitting to a lie to another friend that he's held throughout many years. And Nathan Fielder is recreating this bar that he's meeting his friend at so like they can plan out all these variables like like what drinks are the order when is the friend going to the bathroom like it's so complicated but it's like i so human and it's i have no so, so cool I, I have no idea about anything nathan fielder related like all this stuff is so i have no context so hearing people describe any of this is just like wait what <laughs> Huh? Yeah. No, Nathan for you was a very formative. Yeah, I just I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I've completely stepped out of like you know. There's people. Everyone's talking about it. And I'm just like I'm, I'm periphery. Like, all right. I think I catch like five like five yeah. percent of this. Mm-hmm. 
I truly it, just am lost. No, it's a very specific brand of humor. Um, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to phrase it like, oh, you have to get the humor. Because like, yeah. I think it's, it's one of those things that I felt, even in high school when it was airing on Comedy Central, Nathan, for you, I felt in on the joke. And that was a, like a pretty cool feeling, but yeah, I don't really. Fuck, I mean, it's definitely hilarious, and but like it's also like I don't really fuck with. Cause I'm like, uh, I'm watching it. I'm like, is is this guy like had mental issues? But then you kind of find out no, he's just a dickhead. Like it's just like a you know, it's a. I mean, I guess it's obvious in hindsight. It's just one long big like like spiel. He's like a, it's, it's a the big character he's playing. Like but like it's so serious, and so people take it seriously. And I guess mm-hmm. that's, that's part of how why the show works because like these people are like that they, that he's using quote unquote they're kind of buying into it, you know that's, that's part of the whole point of the thing like you know all the social pressures and wars that we use and how we kind of pressure ourselves ourselves into this stuff. But yeah, he's being like a dickhead. He's like he's like, he's like a next level Tom Green. <laughs> right. Yeah, a little bit. Right. I, I I never got his cruelty, but I can totally see that that side of it that people will just him as like oh look at how i can like manipulate these businesses and these people and abuse their time um but i think he's genuinely helping and i think it's like he's working out his own social uh anxiety as well as helping others and the comedy just naturally arises from that uh and same can be said for nathan for you as well as partially the rehearsal but also he's doing with a bigger budget this time which is also plays into it He's like a, he's like a Lance Court Andy Kaufman. Like if Andy Kaufman yeah. and Wes Anderson were, were yeah, had a baby, yeah. he's some No, he like he, he sort of is like this generation's Andy Kaufman. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I've been watching almost nothing. Uh, I've like <laughs> ca- I'm caught up on only murder only murderers in the building. It's uh, oh, like the yes. only show I'm currently watching. Uh, it's quite good. Um, Martin yeah, Short is truly just. Oh, I love that man. Uh, but his I, arc is great. Yeah. I've mostly so I've mostly in kind of video game realm. I've play I've been playing the mafia games. Uh, they completely passed by me. The two K games, like the first one came out early two thousands. The second one two thousand ten. Then the third one like twenty seventeen or something like that. Um, I played the third one when it came out. Don't really remember much of it. So I played like the remake of the first one. Then the definit like the remastered of the second one. And now I'm playing through the third one again. Good games. Uh, uh, the second one is really racist. <laughs> it was one of those games where I was just playing like, oh my god, oh no, this is really... I mean, it's a good game, but also has like some of the worst like Asian racism I've ever seen in a video game. And oh I'm like, god. this came out in 2010. When did it come out? What year? 2010. Oh, 2010. 2010. Oh my gosh. Where I'm like, I mean, <laughs> then again, you look at Grand Theft Auto and shit like that, where you're like, oh, that's also like really yeah, bad. But, yeah. you know, it's good... The story overall, though, is, like, really solid. I guess, like, you know, kind of the cheap excuse that you can give Grand Theft Auto is, like, it's supposed to be cruel. Right. And you you could also argue the Mafia game as well. But then I'm, like, look at the design of the characters as well. Just look how much, like, detail goes into the white characters versus, like, the Asian characters. And I'm, like... Okay, there's this. Come on, like let's 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 be real here. This is bad, but whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Third one uh, actually ha- is pretty progressive, so that's kind of interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean they're fun games. It's exactly what you want, you know. Just mafia. You know, first one, you're a Chicago gangster. Second one, you're a fucking New York gangster. Third one, you're. It's a very a very particular story that doesn't really actually kind of line up with the games, but oh, fun. I don't know. I like them. Seen uh, too much stuff recently, TV wise. Uh... One of the films I did see recently, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but also just uh, just last night, actually, uh, 
I was at the, you know, here at the, the Nighthawk Cinemas, like the uh, the food and drink theaters we have here in the city. Uh, and I uh, hosted the, well, I introed the uh, the 35 millimeter screening of The Rock, Michael Bay's 1996 mm, classic. Yeah. No, that was a really good time. Because uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't associated it in years. Hmm. Um, and I, you know, it, it's easy to forget. Well, in my intro, I kind of like, what's always stuck with me is like the kind of the, the weird theme about it. Uh, long story short, Michael Bay, even though he's called a propagandist, I think it's more like uh, he, one, has like a obsession with the machines of death, which is, you know, it's the military forces. But also like a, he has, this, he does have a reverence for law enforcement and the military, but more like um, it's fascinating to see to see how he believes like people will sign up to sign up their lives away willingly than just get this thrown away like trash by the government and military. And you kind of see that so crystal clear in the rock and it kind of permeates to all, all his movies really for even, you know, uh, even the, uh, crazy enough, the Transformers films of all things, this is, this is a part of it. You know, there's, there's these immigrant soldiers who become heroes in their new home, but then over the course of the movies, they become condemned and outlawed and chased out like dogs. And ultimately, ultimately, they uh, become allies with refugees, refugees who are made by the very same battles they wage. You know, it's sick on it's stupid. It's the same movie, but to think about it, it's like the the, the the black character in the movie. This is the same person. Yeah, that's that's so wild. Like Michael Bay is like he's yeah, uh, he's a interesting character. Yeah. To say the very we've uh, I, I don't know if it coheres, but uh, fascinating politics. It's. Yeah. Yeah. We did Transformers 4 in an episode, and you, in that episode was very manic. One, because we have Logan Kenny on, and he's a very manic person. But yeah. also, yeah. I'm just continually screaming, the CIA is fundamentally hunting down Autobots and executing them on the spot. Mm-hmm. What is this movie? Yeah. And then it's also and like... You started yelling. you started yelling that, like... An hour and a half. It was in, and true. There was just like nonsense. I was, yeah, yeah. So, because then it's like it ends and like no, like the tech, the you know the tech billionaire is actually a good guy, even though he was funding the you know murder and execution of Autobots and it's and I, Michael, I just I don't understand you. I want to. I, I I love a lot of your movies, but Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. I just oh yeah he. I think Logan even said in that episode like, I just need ten minutes with this man. Right. Just, you need <laughs> to talk to him. Just sit him down. Like, yeah. what's the fuck? Yeah. Um, and well, it was definitely an inter- it was definitely interesting uh, experience. I saw the I saw the Age of the Fallen Transformers four when I was in Afghanistan. I had a Russian bootleg that was that, that was circulated to the the the, the Haji March they call them. Uh, yeah, you know, using the slur that the you know, officially use. But yeah, the the local sh- people at shops there. Yeah, I watched Transformers there while I'm while I'm watching Transformers while I'm wa- while I'm watching on the, on the big command screen. I'm, I'm in the command center. You know, we're about to do a night raid, a strike with AC-130 gunship. So just, it was just so fucking surreal, like, uh, to see this, to see the bombastic magnification of military might. And then the actual... Right. Yeah, that is horror, nuts. Or really fucking doing. <laughs> so yeah, just, like, like, like I said, I, the Transformers film have a special place in my heart. Yeah. They're they're super fascinating. I still haven't seen the last one. I do need to watch The Last Night. Um I think you would dig it. I've heard that's the easy, craziest fucking shit about that movie yeah. and it really And it's all true. I know. Yeah, everything I know. that's crazy about the movie is it's true, it happens. I know. I yeah. and it's so not made up. Oh man, I don't know. It was funny. I, I it's so funny that you said that you you know, The Rock was the movie you watched yesterday or you introduced cuz I have so I have a box of like my I, I still haven't unpacked everything from my last movie because a lot of times I just don't have anywhere to put it. So I have like this box of Blu-rays that I haven't unpacked yet. And on top of it, I think is The Rock. 
and my uncle comes over and he's like that's funny and he just looks at it and he's like the rock and then he just stops like he doesn't mention anything he just like reads it and like says it loudly like that's an introduction to a conversation that didn't happen and i'm like <laughs> okay yeah sure and he just it was bizarre but yeah it's so funny that man coincidences they just always happen hmm. uh yeah i only caught up with the rock uh this year uh it's oh, for the first time it's good yeah it's great I yeah mean. um and I, I mean i think i always had the perception that the rock is like it's always no been known to me as one of bay's best like if not the best right i was like yeah no it kind of makes sense um because it's like it, he kind of like found everything that works um I think that was the follow-up to Bad Boys, if I'm mm-hmm. mistaken. Yeah, um, about 95, yeah. Bad Boys yeah, 95 but, is 96, yeah. 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 But. I wonder, I think it, I think Ambulance is my favorite bay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I, I, I still am not sure myself, cause even now, like, uh, over time, it's kind of changed. might still be, still be Bad Boys 2 for me, but it's like, this uh, Ambulance coming out this year is just so fascinating how it kind of, it's so... Again, strangely relevant, even though it's just this kind of bizarre action bonanza. That's it's almost barely in, not incomprehensible. Well, that too, but uh, inconceivable. As in what he does with the drone camera, like you can't perceive it. It's like another mm-hmm. another, another like visual level. It's it's really mm-hmm. weird. Oh, uh, that, pain, pain and gains my favorite. Sorry, I just looked at ah, pain and ah, gains. Yeah, my yeah, favorite. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people say people say that that's probably his best. Uh, if not the Rock, that I think people will say pain and gain is probably the best one. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I well the pain well pain and gain also has a rock in it. That's true, and that's his best movie. That's his best yeah, movie too. That's yeah. the crazy part. Yeah, it's it's his best performance for sure. I think pain and gain is also my favorite. And you know we've done pain and gain and Transformers four, but we still have like interesting stuff left to do, like sixteen hours. I mean that's oh, a whole can of worms. What right? You mean thirteen? Thirteen? Yeah. 13 oh shoot! Yeah. yeah. Three no, like uh, it's like a like a, I think it was Werner Horsburgh. I don't know if we have to see the other twelve hours, but oh. we'll have to cross that bridge. Well, I think it's like I believe Werner Horsburgh said this is like you know you gotta like do not avert thine eyes. You know, it's like uh, that's the thing. With, 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 no matter what Bay's doing, no matter, how, no matter how stupid it is, like this, what he's showing on screen is our reflection, us as a country, or even the world, even. Like, oh yeah, like raw and like baselining with the American experience. So like I know people are apprehensive about thirteen hours because uh, it's so obviously politically tar- politically charged subject matter, you know, the actual kind of Benghazi. But like it's fucking great. Like like it it doesn't do what you think he was gonna do it. Like Yeah. Hillary yeah, Clinton that was the big like, consensus yeah. at the time. Yeah. 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 But it still I mean, it still it still had like it still has an awareness about it though, where it's like it's not rather than say nobody's to blame, it, it's very clear like who's at fault but like not in the mm. way you think it's very interesting yeah and again super interesting going back to the theme about how he believes or he reveres the soldiers but has contempt obvious contempt for the machines that run the things right he doesn't like the government but loves he's soldiers. an individual yes. i mean he's very much a libertarian yeah. and like yeah, yeah. It's through and through and it's in i libertarians in general have i don't understand their politics sometimes it's just like <laughs> it's just constant like <laughs> clashes of you know, it's all like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's a conversation for another time. Uh, another day. Another day. <laughs> the conversation for day for today. Very special episode. Uh, not only is there is Vice Victus here. Lovely to have you. Um, hey, hey, hey. Oh, wait, now but, we're starting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Press record. You can press record now. Um, but this is also the finale of Action Month. Action Month. Action Month. Action and Month. 
uh, for the Admiral Run Currents. We're finishing this off. And it's our 150th episode. What the fuck? Uh, oh. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know that. Wow. Congrat- how that Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. That's great. Yeah, You're I right. don't know. Thank you. Yeah, that's... Uh, who let that happen? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, thank you for sticking around doing this, Clay. Uh, oh, no, I left at one moment. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I didn't stick around all the time. I left for like a few episodes. I, yeah, that's true. Yeah. More like, you're like at more like, what, 130? I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Before we get into the Emerald Roman Currents, which you have brought with us today, let's learn about a little bit about you. How did you get into film and what grew your passion for movies? Um, could be like a a movie that like you loved as a kid or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I kind of, t- well, if I, if you look at my letterbox, whatever, you know, my, my big four formative movies are fuck is uh, predator and blade among mm-hmm. them. Um, just, you know, cause like, I, I grew up in like, I was born in the eighties. So I was kind of as a young kid watching these really violent movies that you're not supposed to be watching, you know, like Robocops and total recalls, all, you know, all the, all the classic eighties, early nineties action stuff. Um, so yeah, th- that was definitely a big, big factor in it. Um, but also, you know, like, cause nowadays my, my, um, my Did you focus... discover Blade and Predator stuff like that on your own or just, did you have some, someone show? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Well, it cause you know, I, I was like, my dad bought cable or HBO or whatever. And like, I pretty, I'm pretty sure he bought it just like to keep us like, to keep us occupied. <laughs> I never seen him watch TV actually. It was really weird. <laughs> so thanks dad. Um, but he, but he never, he never mentioned anything about it. But no, so we saw that, so that with you know, we had the. Back in back in the old days, with the VCRs, that's the video cassette recorders. You could set it to record the movie, watching, then watch it later. Right. <laughs> that's funny. So yeah, so we did that. You know, did, did, so I played that all the time. Oh, you know, Blade came out in the late nine, late nineties. You know, I was a teenager, and of course, you just uh, even even most people, including myself, not being familiar with the comic book uh, origins, just Wesley types, of course. You know, at the time, one of the biggest action stars in the world. Um, you know, and this is being like, and I wrote, I wrote, have I written about this. Uh, this is actually one of my college thesis theses um because I, I have a degree in communications and i kind of talked about how like blade specifically is the kind of progenitor of uh basically the the current marvel or the current superhero uh genre as we as you know it i mean of course you know there's superman and batman for all this but like what it is now this certain the specific mix of like eastern influences martial arts this uh the the, the high tech the, you know, the cutting edge or at the time leading edge of cgi and then just you know, just the, the having these marquee actors, all these specific combinations of, of things, uh, is kind of is part of what what is now the 20th century standard operating procedure. So yeah, that was a good thing. And then um, so my main thing though is I I I was in the army for a long time, about 12, 13 years. Um, so and I was overseas for most of the time. So um, I was stationed in Korea for a little while, and in Germany and my Iraq tours and Afghanistan and so forth. Uh, but when I was in Korea, I was there during what I guess some people, I guess, was considered the uh, Korean new wave of cinema. So most famously, things like uh, uh, Old Boy or uh, Sympathy for Miss Vengeance. So the Korean soldiers, Park Chan-wook. yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So the Korean soldiers who were with us there, um, some some of the videos, some of the movies came out um, on DVD at the time. So they, they introduced us, me me and us American soldiers to it, you know, and we fucking loved it, of course. So it was kind of it was kind of cool being there, like uh, in the ground zero. Of that wave that would that we would soon see come and you know invade America in, in the best way, um, but also then uh, when I was in Germany for a while, um, it's interesting because like a for somehow some way, the the video store section in the PX that's the post exchange the military uh, store on, on a military basis, 
they had a really eclectic video selection for some re re reason. I'm not quite sure why. And, it, uh, and a lot of it was actually uh, European. Well, I guess the weird way the circle of media works, the European releases that come to America or distributed, you know, Miramax and so forth. And then they, but then we end up in ourselves. So I'm, I'm seeing these movies, these European movies in American, American context, but you know, they're still European. Right. And I'm in Europe. Right. So I'm kind of, I'm getting the actual real life uh, flavor of what these movies are showing. So that kind of definitely, doubly increased my appreciation for international film. Uh, and actually in general, all, all kinds, but everything in an international lens. But yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I do nowadays. I kind of, over the past few years, in my writing, journalism, and, my, and podcast now, I focus on um, action movies and war films from international scope and how, you know, kind of the, 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 this changing seas and tides of how, how again, that uh, Eastern, Western, or, or just the global things influence each other. Like everything from like the raid, for example, a big thing kind of blew up from Indonesia, an mm -hmm. unlikely place at the time. But now, basically, every movie, every action movie, is held by that standard. You know, and you know, you see, you see with John Wick, so you know those mixes of cultures and styles, all the, all that. So that's been really fascinating for you to follow. Uh, and same thing with the uh, war films. You know, like uh, again, we were talking about Michael Bay just now. Like you know, all the, not just him, but other American films that are quite overtly propaganda. But then you kind of don't really, I want to say appreciate, maybe that's a, that's a strange word to say, but uh, you don't really appreciate the American propaganda. You see, so you see other people's propaganda? Yes. Like specifically the Chinese and Indian ones. Yes. Like Chinese, one of the famous ones that made it, one of the, at a, at a time, the biggest movie, the highest movie in the, in the world, uh, Wolf Warrior 2, uh, with the Wu Jing, you know, with Frank Grillo's in it, you know, like in, it's a, in Chinese in Africa, it's a hardcore, it's funded funded by the Chinese government. Like it, it is blatantly, overtly, like, irrefutably propaganda. It's also a fucking great action movie, one of the greatest movie, action movies in the 21st century. So, you know, so just having having that sense and awareness of how this propaganda and stuff works in, in around the world, how it comes to the movies. And another one, India, for example, another big, Indian mean, cinema is getting a lot of a lot of pre, uh, press recently, especially because of uh, RRR, Rise of the Vault. Mm. And again, that's the same thing. I mean, that's just kind of a weird case with like a historical fiction, which actually applies to movie we're going to talk about today. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, and they they have no qualms about that kind of stuff in India. Like, to to a fault because the other part of that, the unfortunate part of that, is like, um, some will argue at least definitely within the country itself, but also here in Aurora, like, uh, how it affects the real world kind of basically fascism or right wing uh, uh, domination going on, or like, uh, you know, Muslims or minority groups are being uh, persecuted in India, and how that. How that all kind of reflects in their films too. So you know, it's a very sensitive, you know, sensitive topic, but something it's important, critical to understand. You know, so like like I said, even with like dumbass movies like Michael Bay or whatever, like there's a lot going on that is, that's being reflected culturally and socially that we need to, we need to pay attention to. So that's kind of my deal for as a, as a film journalist. Yeah, that's. I mean, mm -hmm. and that's. So yeah, I've I've I, I kind of said this before we started recording. I've been following you on Twitter for quite a while. Um, and I've always appreciated, I think scope is the right word, because I think, I think there, there's a lot of self-congratulating with uh, certain film nerds about, oh, look how diverse my taste is. Look how, like, look how broad and, you know, grand my taste is. I watch films from Germany. I watch films from France. I watch films from China. Look at me. But, and I've always found that to be irritating because a lot of those people don't back that shit up because it's like, Oh, mm -hmm. I've seen that. 
like you you know you, you you like i me someone who is not an like who me who does not consider themselves as well watched as other people do it's like well i've seen that movie that's not a big flex but you know with you and like um you know head expo like you know one perfect headshot um uh alex i it's you guys back up that talk because you're also willing to in, like kind of really interrogate a lot of the ideas and context within those you know like countries like film movements you were talking about the you know korean new and wave. sometimes i even forget that like it's right it's watching film and understanding the cultural context and why it's coming from the country it is like there's i think it's there's a reason like why the certain uh south korean film like is made from that country and it's why it can't be replicated in others unless of course it's chosen to be remade which you know but um. <laughs> but it, it it's just so fascinating to me when like you know, a lot of these, again, like self-congratulating film nerds, you know, don't, you know, like, we'll gladly like talk about, oh, you know, Amer- the American war machine, American propaganda, it's awful. It's, you know, it's like all of our movies are funded by the Department of Defense, but don't really talk about, and I'm not saying they need to, but I'm just saying it, I don't think they're also aware of what's going on, like you mentioned, in other countries, because every country that has any kind of, kind of major film uh, industry has nationalistic propaganda throughout a lot of their films. So it's just yeah, it's so interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I guess we want to zero in on the film we talk about today. Because it's part of that. So like I remember when uh, Parasite came out, Parasite, you know, the famous, you know, great film and, uh, you know, won best picture and best director, all that stuff, you know, and like, you know, and then uh, the director had the famous thought about the, if you just, if you could just uh, get over the two inch thing of subtitles, you can find a whole world of cinema, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and people are like, yeah, you, you stupid plebes. You don't watch foreign films. Right, 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 you, right, you, right. You don't have, you don't have memory. And first of all, I've been watching subtitles since I, I've been watching subtitles since I was watching bootleg Dragon Ball Z tapes and old ass bootleg uh, uh, Shaw Brothers films. Like, for, for one thing, people don't recognize that that's international cinema. Also, all those cheesy ass kung fu flicks, whatever, exactly. like anime. Yeah. Like that's we've been doing that shit on the streets, man. Like you ain't special just because you fucking read subtitles, you know. But then the other part of that is like you know they'll say hey you, now it's time for Korean cinema people to appreciate Korean cinema, but they don't, but they some perceive that it's just amazing dramas like Parasite. Right. It's all bullshit too, just like our movies, just like any other country's movies. There's a lot of that stuff, like a lot of shit. Well, but uh, but also a lot of great popular stuff too, because that year when Parasite came out, um, 2019. Yeah, 2019. The uh, the highest grossing film in Korea was not Parasite. It was Extreme Job, a, bu- a buddy cop comedy, you know, which is a fucking great movie. You definitely recommend seeing that. Cause it's, I mean, it's about a undercover cops who go in, to go undercover the fried chicken joint, but, but they like they like bumbling cops, so they they were they do better fried chicken than being cops. That's funny. That's, hilarious. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's great. But it, yeah, but it actually has some pretty cool action in it too as well. But yeah, you know, like but. Everybody who's so parasite who's saying, "Oh, you should watch Korean movies and read some of those," they didn't see that shit. They didn't come to the AMC in Ridgefield, New Jersey, where I'm at, with a Korean population here in New York, New York, New Jersey area to come see that shit. No, they didn't do it. They ain't talking that shit. So you know, it's, it's all it's all just putting on airs to me. But like you know, you gotta actually mm-hmm. go out there, put your boots on the ground, as it were, and get that. And so uh, I want to further to that point though. We talk about the propaganda part. So I mentioned you know the high culture film of that year. Up to recent, up to actually, actually this month, actually, uh, the highest grossing film uh, in, of all time in Korea uh, was not Parasite, not some you know heartfelt drama. It was a blatant piece of nationalistic propaganda. 
This was the Admiral Warren Currents. Right. Again, you talk about the context, the cultural context. This story, this movie was hit hit a lot home because one, it's just a great world-made uh, war film, you know, lots of big scale um, dealing with the well, the fifteen. It, it, it deals with the uh, Japanese invasion of Korea, known as the Joseon Empire at the time during the fifteen hundreds, fifteen nineties or so. So it's, it's a very important, uh, critical part in Korean history because it, had they not survived that, they would not, they would not be in Korea. So you know, it, it has that going for it, and then of course it has the late star as a. Uh, Shaman Sik as the lead, uh, okay, and Shaman Sik from Old Boy fame as Odesu, and so mm -hmm. so and the movies are very about a very important uh, historical military leader. It's kind of like uh, if you can imagine a movie like uh, that was called Valley Forge, right? America, right? Starring Tom Hanks as George Washington, right? That's what the movie was like, right? And so, so we'll get into this now. So so the Admiral, it's about the light of the certain exploits of this uh, revered uh, leader. Uh, Admiral uh, Yi Sunshin. Um, he's extremely famous in North Korea, and like uh, he, as even and anybody who follows military history knows because he was a uh, he was instrumental in the defending uh, fighting off the Japanese invasion, and uh, he did so at, at great disadvantage. He had um, he had several battles where he would fight ships, twelve ships versus one hundred forty, whatever. Uh, this is actually the, the premise of the first of movie Admiral Occurrence. Uh, the critical battle, the battle of Myeongdong, where he was only his twelve ships, him and his twelve ships, versus a whole fleet of one hundred forty Japanese ships. But um, and then, as the title suggests, the Roaring Currents, he used he had a great knowledge of the sea and of the nation of the geography, and there's a strait within that area in southern southern Korea where um, the tide changes every three hours, so, and he, it's a very strange natural phenomenon. So he knew that, so he used that to his advantage to help defeat to help him defeat the Japanese, you know, against the numerical force. Numerically superior force using the, the currents and uh, his just great uh, strategy in general. So yeah, like uh, and he's for over several years there was I think there were uh, two separate kind of campaigns during this time with the Japanese and he fought through all, all of them. And again, throughout all of his career, um, even though the Japanese pretty much trounced the Korean arm, uh, land forces because it's just whether they they you know if, you know history the Sengoku period the the warring states era the civil war in Japan at the time. They were already battle-hardened samurai and, and soldiers, so they easily trounced the Korean land forces. But uh, Admiral uh, Yi Sun-chen remained strong and with crafty tactics and so forth and leadership. 
uh, defeated them. And that's part of what is that's part of the uh, legend about him is that, uh, he's known in Korea as the the martial lord of royalty. And part of that is because uh, by all, by all most or all accounts historically, he really was a spectacular human being. Uh, he he was said to be incorruptible and, and fair and just. Uh, even in in some a lot of the historical writings, uh, his own the, the Korean political court, uh, at many times they 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 branded him as a traitor at one point. They tortured him. They they, they locked him up. Because he was too good, he was too effective, and they were pretty jealous of him, basically. Uh, we, we, we while they were incompetent, but all throughout that, he never, he never bore the grudge, at least not openly, and he always ultimately fought for the people of Korea, the Joseon Empire, to be Korea. And so, and as time went on, he was revered for that, for never wavering, even at great cost to his personal self. So that, so that that movie, uh, the Admiral, I believe that was twenty sixteen, I believe, that came out. It's like that, you know, again, that would you know, blow the box office. Became the highest grossing movie of all time uh, in Korea. Mm. It, so now this is what we're talking about today. Um, well, I'll let you get it. Uh, the, we have the prequel to the Admiral. Right. This is a uh, Hansan Rising Dragon, uh, which uh, a previous exploit of one of, uh, one of the many real exploits of this great Admiral. Great. And you and you've seen it, right? Yeah, yeah. I was able to. See. It's, yeah. it's uh, here out in America uh, right now in theaters, select areas, and I was able. It's really great. Interesting. It. Is astounding to me that and it, it, they're... and it did fairly well in 2014 here as well as obviously South Korea. Oh right, right, um, right, right. Yeah. Um, it's astounding to me that they're making that this is so. The plan is for a third film uh, after there, there's you know there's a, a Hassan Rising Dragon and then wh- whatever. I think there is another battle they're gonna do. Um, okay, but at least that's what it said from Wikipedia. So who knows if that's true? Uh, the even Sea of Death is the next. Okay. One. So they're making a trilogy about an admiral. There is no, I don't know, man. That is a crazy concept. Like, imagine if we had a trilogy of movies dedicated to uh, Ulysses S. Grant or, like you said earlier, George Washington. Like, that's not, and I'm not saying that's a one-for-one comparison, but, you know. The easy comp for me was, like, uh, Master and Commander. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. what if Master and Commander ended up having sequels? I I wish I could recall right now how well it did, Um like who knows if Peter Weir would even sign on to do more, if, or if like you know other things would attract Peter Weir to, um, or if it would just be like these sort of like direct to DVD like Master and Commander sequels, right? Yeah. Well, um, I'm looking enough. That's it sort was, of the closest I have. Yeah, it made a 211, 211 million worldwide. So yeah, it was it was not mm-hmm. a fluke. It was it is solid numbers. Yeah, and of course the uh, it had the Oscar nomination, Best Picture, and several other awards mm-hmm. too. You know, yeah. if if not for that pesky. Lord of the Rings finale. Yeah, yeah, Master yeah, exactly. Commander yeah. would be revered to this day. <laughs> but now it's kind of like a forgotten curio, but everybody who's seen it is like, oh my God, this is an amazing movie. It's always like a great Russell Crowe performance. And, yeah. Him and his piece, Pete Crowe, you know, Paul Bettany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 everybody's on Beautiful fire. Beautiful mind reunion, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, that kind of is a good, a good, perhaps a good parallel to the, yeah. the kind of the scope and the, the majesty and the, and the Verb of what's going on in the Admiral on occurrence and the sequel to it, Hansen Rising Dragon. Sure. Yeah. You know, full of, you know, full of like a naval tr- st- uh, strategy and maneuver and deception and all, uh, all kinds of other facets of war, uh, spycraft and, and deception that goes along with combat. You know, it's all it's all in these mm-hmm. movies. It's really great. Yeah, it's the story. It's the story at the core of this, and also it's just the craft, right? Because it's like I know some, I know here it's like this very meticulous buildup. Um, to make you understand all the moving parts and then it's the actual battle and when it get and i don't think it saves itself too late to where there's like too little of the battle um 
I, I just think it's like laid out the table is set very well to where you understand um e- like even the admiral like not even that great of a guy right? like like pretty ruthless and um yeah like he and you know that, again yeah. yeah that that's again one of those cultural things to talk about you know like is it uh uh, well, this, this is a very gross oversimplification, oversimplification but you, you might have heard about the Korean, the Han, the cultural thing. There's a certain, um, it's a very hard to describe from people, for people who won't live it. But essentially, just being there for three, three, a couple of years, I've kind of noticed the, it's, a, it's a sort of like a forlornness or, or inherent uh, moroseness or tragedy about life. But um, that you just kind of like life, life and love is suffering. And this is, I guess, it's part of like because of you know Korea's historical state they were constantly being invaded or at war um with people other nations so it kind of is ingrained in them societally but also just like that with with some confucian um uh cultural elements as well so it's a very specific interesting thing in the korean culture that they have so so that to to the point of the admiral like um he understands that they have to suffer and lose these lives blood must be shed to do this they're not so much uh they're not so much I don't want to say afraid to die, but um, the understanding of what must be done is a bit more, more clear in this context of this Joseon War, at least. And in general, I, and from what I felt, from what I've seen, living and working with Korean soldiers, they kind of, there's a part of that too. Even though, it's funny enough, you know, like when I work with the Korean soldiers, the uh, Katusas, the Korean overseas to the U.S. Army, Katusas, and a lot of these guys are like uh, college kids, right? you know, they're very educated. You know, they, they, kind of, they hated it they, because it's a mandatory service for them. But again, it was like a they 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 had to suffer through this this ordeal to advance on with their lives. It was just like there was no escape. It's all the pain is inevitable, and so they, even then it was like that that cultural thing that I that I, I felt off of them, and so that kind of translates to here. Like so, yes, he's ruthless in our eyes, but like this admiral, he understood what great sacrifices needed to be made, and and you know and again he he suffered very great personal sacrifices of his own multiple times so he wasn't he wasn't just bluffing he, he was walking the walk yeah right yeah I, I think it just struck me since um the uh japanese commander was built up to be this like really just the, with the pirate king or the uh like the a government official uh the pirate king. yeah yeah, yeah it, it's almost like they didn't share that that much that was different between them just since they they ruled their their tribe to be very to to be so diligent and i i i think when i was watching this like i i think when i when i first hit play i did a quick google like okay like what's some like broad context and then i see highest grossing Mm. film in south korea as i'm watching it i'm like yeah no that makes sense i because it's one of those things where it and not to say that it's like pure propaganda rah 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 but there is this kind of core idea of purpose and, you know, a cog in the machine of serving the people. You know, he says, my loyalty is to the king and the king serves the people. So his loyalty in, in like an indirect way is to the people. And he feels a profound responsibility in that. And he feels to re- relay that responsibility and that like burden onto his soldiers. Because he's so, he's very much matter of fact, like, yeah, no, our job is to die. That's like, that's the thing. You know, we're, our job is to sacrifice ourselves. Our job is to push back. Our job is to not run this is like he doesn't even consider it an option he can't even comprehend it really um and i find and so as i'm watching that you kind of it's one of those things where i think this is kind of a weird connection to it but like i think sometimes you'll hear people talk about like they love studying space because it makes them feel small and it gives them kind of peace 
when it comes to feeling like your destiny and your role is predetermined or you have only one goal in mind as in your goal is to sacrifice your life for the greater good or your goal is to you know like very predetermined and kind of I, as I'm watching it, I kind of felt at peace too in a way of like, I don't know, it felt all so purposeful. Everyone had this very distinct like you know purpose in what they in what in what their job was, what their what their responsibility was. And it felt so like it was almost obvious at some points. like obviously this is what you have to do. This is your choice, this is your burden. this is uh, the the path laid in front of you. Um, so as, yeah, I'm just watching this and like, you know, there's also the, you know, the, like the huge raw, raw moments of like, oh my God, the ship survived and everyone freaks out. And that stuff's really effective. Like the, like the village people. Right. Cheering them on or like warning them. I think that also goes to benefit, um, what South Korean cinema is known for with its change in tone. Um, or at least what Bong Joon-ho, like you bring up earlier, I think when he made more apparent to what South Korean cinema was able to do with like easily fluctuating between uh action and comedy and thriller um and i think this is an example of that where it's like the townspeople they they could have felt like they were in a different movie right but um they just did indifferently as yeah it's pretty unique to think about the korean cinema like that this is a strange like almost soap opera level of melodrama right but then this hardcore brutality and action again it's Mm -hmm. that that cultural thing Uh, like like again again this goes over some location there's there's a han and there's also a uh there's a, counter, there's a counterbalance to it as well, where it's like a sense of um, uh, we we might we might use the word unity or a sense of uh, togetherness that we're all in this together. So like it's not just they don't just have this. It's not fatalism. No, because it, it just, it's just one part of their existence that is kind of balanced with this other. Like you know, we as a Korean people or as as people can come together and fight. And that's and so it's kind of expressing that weird. You see this weird like yeah, and then like the brutal combat. The, the two, right there's a beheading and then there's this yeah. self-congratulation we did it like at the end yeah. where they're all like sitting down and like you know like t- even though they're sitting like you know celebrating like under the deck they're celebrating like, oh, look you know what we just did you think history is gonna remember us and right next to them is their dead buddies like it's it's a very like yeah there's a lot of like you know just ju- juxtaposition throughout the film like that and it's really fascinating yeah. and in part you mentioned the beheading like that that that, that specific moment is kind of a Dramatization of a, of a real event or a real quote, uh, like uh, just as another example, another movie by another famous general, uh, the Patton, the movie Patton, right. starring George C. Scott. Yeah. Um, there's a, so in in real life, he uh, there's a movie, the scene in the movie where he um, he's talking to a, a soldier who has shell shock, we know as PTSD now, and the soldier tells him he can't go back into battle because he's shook up. He says, "My nerves, sir." And so um, in in the scene, Patton gets enraged, and he punches him. But then uh, he further goes and he's like, uh, you know what, I ought to shoot you myself. And he pulls the gun out. That was actually two separate events that Patton had. He, he, he punched out a dude. And then on a separate occasion, he, he threatened the guy's life. Right. Both of you know, got in trouble with him. But they kind of mm-hmm. condensed that into one moment to, to crystallize who Patton was as a person, as a man, as a leader. So mm-hmm. in this beheading scene here in, in the Admiral, at Yusun Chin, this is a real, real quote he says. that when He, he says, um, those who seek death shall live. Those who seek life shall die. Right. What he's emphasizing is that you know, like, and this, again, it's not fatalism. It, it's uh, seeing the way forward through through the uh, obstacles. Like, if you're scared to fight, you, 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 that inherent fear will will bring you down. It'll it'll make you less effective in combat. It makes you as effective as a as a soldier as to take orders or to, to survive. But if you can like control and, and maintain that fear and drive one to purpose and like 
face death head on. That's just kind of statistically. They call it. Like, I think it's called the, the uh, violence of action in our, our military terms. Like being scared or apprehensive in battle is a detriment to, to battle to your to your survival. You have to kind of put yourself forward, your foot forward into the into the fire, literally and figuratively, because doing that will give you an at a decisive tactical advantage. It's just doing the thing that will. It's like a yeah. It's, a, it's one of the weird kind of gambles of life is that if you do it, it's so dangerous, but the risk versus reward pays off. So he's trying to instill mm -hmm. that in the, in this like you know this guy who's so scared he's better off dead because because he, he's he's already dead. Right. Like if he's so scared, you know, he's he's already dead. But if you can move through this fear and do your duty and and face the fire head on, you will actually have legitimately have a better chance of survival. But which again, it's not the same thing as a suicide mission. That's not what he what he's referring to, even though. All the characters around him say so. Again, this is the part where his brilliant strategy and, and tactical acumen comes into play, because he's not—he's not doing this out of, of glory or, or being vain, but like like some fans you will see. They'll, and this is part of the story. Then, uh, at, at one point, uh, I think it was actually the, 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 pre, the prologue in this movie mentions that uh, uh, he had a great fleet. The Korean army, Navy had a great fleet, but a commander who had gotten Yi in, in prison took over his fleet and charged ahead recklessly right and all his ship was destroyed whereas he, he knows that it's not about glory or vanity he's like he knows what to do but it also requires just leading the charge i think and i think the reason he doesn't see it as a suicide mission i think when people think of i don't know like i think he considers the idea of a suicide mission as a very individualistic point of view as in you're thinking of yourself the individual rather than the greater the greater picture as in, it's not a suicide mission if the purpose is of to, like, protect the nation, protect our fleet, protect our king, protect our land, protect our people. Like, it's not, you think you're, you're caught up in your own individuality rather than the, he's very much, uh, you know, against the, like, or not against the individual, but he, again, like, I think you mentioned it, you know, the togetherness, but also, like, kind of acting as one organism, being copacetic, you know, symbiotic, like, yeah. cogs. No, you know, not in a way that's dehumanizing, but in a way that is purposeful and yeah. um, motivated into like like achieving this greater goal of yeah. you know mm -hmm. defense and honor. And you know, history bore this out because the fact that the, the the actual fact is that in all his naval battles that he himself commanded, you know, he he destroyed several hundred of Japanese ships over time. He never lost a single Korean ship. Like this is an actual historical fact. Again, it's because he had this violence of action, but also he had the wisdom and strategy to to how to deploy the forces and to not be suicidal. Right. Uh, you know, they had to they had to face death, almost certain death for sure, but it, it wasn't in vain or in vanity's sake. It was for this purpose, and he was clear in his purpose, and that in turn, the, the his men felt fed off of that. And they were able to get closer because as you see in the movie, in during the climax, like he goes a single ship in his own single ship to fight, and using his great strategy, he does well. And just his strategy alone, just seeing him be able to like fight single single handedly, that actually uh, provokes the other ships who are hiding to come out and fight with him. And but you know he he knew that he needed all twelve ships to complete his mission, but he had to make that first leap and go out into yeah. the fire to do so. It's the risk versus reward thing yeah. again, because um, I I think too, it goes to the movie's inherent story that 
also plays into uh, every everybody having a purpose and this battle giving them a purpose, uh, right? Because I, I don't think there would be a story here if it weren't for um, 12 against, what is it, 300? Um, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's something like, yeah, and it's like, I think we know that um, we know that they're gonna that they're gonna defeat the much bigger army, but yet it's the idea that it's not if they're gonna defeat them, it's when, and because it's what it's when they're gonna defeat them, um, that we then know like okay, everyone literally does have a position in here, and because they have a position in the army, they have a purpose that the army gives them like a purpose in life, I guess. Has your fascination with war films pre predate your time time serving? Hmm. I guess, yeah, my fascination with the military in general, I guess you could say it was. Or, or I mean, well, military or, or war, just war films, I, I guess. Well, yeah. let, me, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Like, you know, I didn't sign up, I didn't enlist for 12 years of my life because of Top Gun or Full Metal Jacket or Black Hawk Down. Right. I did it because of Captain Sisko and Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. Right. Like, you know, Star Trek, one of the most progressive, fucking liberal things in, in, right. ever to, in ever all media. But I was hooked by this valiant black commander making the hard choices. And, you know, that's what kind of, you know, I, 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 yeah, so I, I won't say if he made me son of like, I think thinking back, I was never really captured by propaganda. The way people say it, they, it right. works, it's supposed to work. Right. It was, of all things, the most liberal thing in the world that got me, that spurred my interest. Right. You know? right. Um, so, yeah, I would say just, yeah, in, in general, war, stories of war in general, war is captivating to me. Um, hmm. and, and, you know, I mentioned Black, Black Hawk Down, like, even now after my experience, you know, and I, for sure, I, I, well, I, someone might ask today, should I sign up? I will say, hell no. Or, the Air Force, <laughs> right, or right, like right, that, right, 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 right. I'm not, I'm not a, uh, uh, warmonger by any means, uh, nothing like that. You know, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't have the fucking thin green line shit going on. I'm not, I'm not I don't, <laughs> I don't like do all that fucking Black Hawk Kobe, Kobe company bullshit. Hmm. Um, but you know, like. It's, it's difficult to say I would do it again, but I got so much out mm. of it, and I'm glad that I'm glad that I survived. Even having the baggage that I have now, I'm glad yeah. that I got out of it. And so nowadays, and so before, like those stories, kind of helped me like understand in some ways. Right. It's hard. This sounds kind of gross to say the virtue of what the military can be. You know, you still the job. The job is still to kill the human beings. That that is concrete. You know, I, I never lost sight of that. But like. The sense of community that well that again when it can be good it is great and I, I i always i got a lot out of that and you see that in here in all these propaganda films the camaraderie and the, the actual positive aspects of military life that's that's a you know it's a very uh enticing thing for with part why people join you know you see it name top top gun and maverick now you know it, it, that's a very appealing thing um hmm. but uh but no overall like and, and so to finish that up like you know, I, I saw Black Hawk Down and it kind of you know, influenced my mind a little bit as, as a young teenager or early, early 20s, young adult. But then coming back from actually seeing shit like, shit like that for real, I mm. have appreciation for, appreciation, for, appreciation for it more now, actually, because uh, some of the truths it tells. And again, you know, that, that, in that case, Black Hawk Down was based on a true story. You know, of course, Hollywood embellishments, but like, I still have appreciation for what it's trying to say more now, even with its, you know, some nasty politics and stuff about it. Yeah, I, I still appreciate the, what those positive aspects more so than the novel. Perfect. That's exact. Yeah, that's perfect. And I, I also think it's an interesting idea to consider 
um, war films action, which I think that's a whole debate that we may not have time for tonight. Um, but I was curious if you had any um, war films from the 2010s that either are favorites of yours or that are just recommendations. Mm, well, not to go too far afield, but part of my study of war film that I'm writing and my podcasting is of is to kind of expand what a war film means. Uh, so mm. it's, it's not just combatants on the battlefield. It's also like uh, the direct effects afterward or during with either the people directly affected by it, like civilians and so forth, or the scars afterwards by combatants, civilians, the nation as a whole, all that stuff. Um, but specifically to the point of the action, though, um, hmm. well, I, I, I guess I, get, I, get, I have two of them. Uh, two of my, I think two of the best, and also two of my favorite war films of the past, in the 2010s. Uh, one is, um, it's Leave No Trace. It's a drama starring uh, Ben Forrester. It's, it, so there's no combat, yeah. there's no action at all. It's not an action movie at all. It's, it's, it's a pretty serious hardcore drama. Yeah. But it, 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 it gets the truth of that hurt more than anything I've probably ever seen. Um, it, it's Very it's a, haunted performance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Ben Foster, he's great at playing. He, him, unlike any other modern actor, nails that sense of, it's hard to explain, the sense of uh, rage and disillusionment and sorrow and, mm. uh, and also like a volatility that a lot of modern veterans who have PTC have. It's a very specific vibe for a black and better word. And he nails it. So yeah, mm. so leave those trees. I would say, you know, again, it's trying to expand what a war movie is. That's a war movie if I ever saw one. Um, the other, um, so yeah, trying to, there's a, a French film, I believe it's from 2012. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a French uh, war film that actually takes place in Afghanistan, and what it is, it's actually because it's, it's a, it it does uh, it it does deal directly with like modern combat and stuff like that, but it's also basically it's a horror movie, um, and it, and in this horror film, it, it's kind of based off of a um, a, a, a Islamic myth or, or, or mythology, um, but it but it's and uses that metaphor. As a kind of, well, it uses that that myth as a metaphor for the the spec guilt, the specter of guilt of doing this past global war on terror, or whatever. Called. Uh, so, so the name movie is called Neither Heaven Nor Earth. That's the uh, English title, Neither Heaven Nor Earth. Um, hmm. it, it came out twenty sixteen. I'll definitely check that and out. So there's again, it's not quite. There aren't really. There is combat and violence in it, but it's not really an action film in that sense, like you like you're asking. But still. I think that it, it, if, you, if you're looking for a more quote-unquote traditional war film, but also, well, it's not though because again that horror element that's kind of drives it all home, the the ghost of guilt as an actual, in, in the well in the case of the movie, um, people start disappearing in in, their, in this, they have a remote post in Afghanistan, and people start disappearing, so the soldiers think that they kind of just like a went AWOL, but then there's like literally no trace of them, like vanished out of thin air, but then. Early on, early in one movie, I almost pull it any further, but um, one of the Taliban operatives goes missing too. So that's when they kind of see what there's more than just it's not just like a there's more to it than that. So again, this is very kind of beautiful, haunting in the truest sense kind of film um, that does have that modern does have the boots on the ground 
tactile tactical nature of it all but it's mm-hmm. very much like a, a, a emotional piece I'm, um, just, I'm definitely gonna check that out because that's on and canopy I just, and I just uh, and freebie i just checked and uh, both of those are on canopy oh, okay cool cool yeah, oh you know cool. but yeah i'll give it the i'll give it the one like if, if people still want to like, oh this is bullshit sad shit if you want an action movie i, I got i got one for you it's on netflix actually it's a netflix a netflix, a netflix original it's a mosul it features an, an entirely oh, cast yeah. it's all arabic they speak arabic throughout the whole film it is an american produced film so like the director is like a white guy or whatever but it's the cast and all the story is all in arabic and it's, it's about based on a, or it's about a uh it's like one of the elite uh one of the elite uh forces in mosul well basically mosul people most americans don't even realize this that um mosul was kind of the, the and mosul and, and the kurdish forces were the front line against the war on terror in the very real sense fighting uh the islamic state because uh, that's what they, that's what they're, they're operating region was so they were heavily in conflict with the isis and so forth there so the movie was about this a group of squad of special like law uh military police kind of dudes and they were on a kind of a secret mission to go uh, uh to well i don't want to spoil it but they, they were on a secret mission and they bring and they encounter a young man who, who's whose uh friend is killed so he has no choice but to join them to survive yeah and, and that shit is like a, that's a fucking fantastic action-packed statical but also very clearly very serious and Sober, sobering um, reflection of the war that a part of the war that most of us here in America don't even know about. So yeah, yeah. If you want to, yeah, that, that's it. There you go. There that's you go. Really <laughs> no, I mean, I love. I think I, I, the oh, idea man. of expanding yeah, awesome. the definition of a war film, I think, is a yeah, is awesome. Yeah, so that's that's thesis, great. So yeah. I'm glad those those were yeah. your first the your first two answers were mentioned because those were that those For are sure. great. Yeah. I um I, I would not. I would never think of leave no trace. Like that's. That's very cool. Um, so let's let's wrap up. Yeah, let's head What's to our scene, favorite yeah. scene of the film? Um, I can go first if need be. Yeah. Um, so it's a moment, basically. It's the moment. So I think they're right about to do close quarter combat. Um, the admiral orders like uh, shrapnel sh- shrapnel shells for the cannons instead, and they have this like idea of hiding them with the shields, and making sure. You know, like think, having the Japanese forces think they're going to, you know, about to just do hand to hand or, um, so, you know, like close quarter combat with uh, weapons rather than them getting blown to fucking bits. And there's that one, like, I think it's like, a, you know, a God, God's eye shot that, you know, they take off the, they remove the shields and they shoot the shrapnels and it just eviscerates everyone. It's such a, one, it's a brilliant moment. It's well timed and edited, like, you know, it's each. I love the rhythms of this film. It always knows when to cut to mm. build the most tension, um, and to, it, it all feels so precise. Um, but it also is a great looking film, and it just that moment is just, is also just particularly badass because it's it, it's just to see the shock and terror on everyone's face, and they just like fucking blow all of them away. It's like that. That was one of those moments where I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah that's yeah 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 no i felt the same about that moment um yeah i'm gonna just continue my coincidental pattern of choosing something that's not related to any action scenes at all forgetting this is an action film uh because I, I really loved when they sort of like look around at each other and they were like holy shit when i was i think it's at the end of the battle or when the battle is taking a breather and it's sort of like, what have we gotten ourselves into? And they were sort of laughing about it. Um, that part's pretty cool. Or it's just like, I feel that grounds them. Where it's like, if you're not checking in on them as a, uh, 
as, as a humanized, fleshed-out character, I think that's enough to like understand the camaraderie. Um, yeah. Well, mine is kind of obvious, but um, it's still great. Is the actual in the climax of the battle when there was straight chain course and they, they grab. Well, we forgot to mention though that part part of the um, success of the Korean Navy at the time was um, they had a secret weapon, basically a secret secret weapon. It was uh, I forget the Korean name for it, but it was known as the, the turtle ship. It was this massive frigate that had literal armor plates on top of it with spikes coming out so that people couldn't board it. And then it had cannons all around its entire hull so it could fire in all directions. So basically the, the turtle ship would smash through any of the enemy uh, lines and just start firing off. And as it was causing chaos within like the Japanese forces in their formations, that's when the, the admirals, the main forces, would maneuver around and, and kind of trap them in a, in a net, basically, to finish them off. And so, and so mm-hmm. part of this movie, the way I'm starts that um he in fact loses his uh, secret weapon in, in uh, some, to sabotage, so he has to go through this this terror battle without his secret weapon. But in the end, though, like once the as the uh, tides turn, as the literal tides turn, and then the tides battle turn, um, they kind of they have it's like they're really cheesy, but it's it's so beautiful. Like uh, his ship, his regular you know his regular battle cruiser, is an old man who's watching who's who's one of the civilians, civilians who's helping them. He watches it from afar on the shore, and you know he knows about the turtle ship. So then, when he sees the regular, you know, frigate smash through the line, just like the turtle ship, he cries, "The turtle ship is reborn! It's resurrected!" It's so yeah, yeah. manly tears, man. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. You know, it is kind of interesting they use the word cheesy because I saw that word in a few different reviews, um, and, I, and I'm just like, it kind of that aspect to it to sort of liven up the atmosphere, juxtaposed to the ruthless uh war scenes mm. it kind of plays into how well this did in uh south korea where you're just like those are the moments where it's sort of like you want to like i'm sure uh people over there like want to go back to like relive those uh cathartic moments where like i want to jump on the down like <laughs> like when you yeah you want you want to do a fist pump yeah. in the air like yeah you know it, yeah right, right and right, i think right, sometimes exactly. i think sometimes critic it's sort of the avatar thing i think you can right. sort of draw that and i think sometimes critics all or want Titanic. all war films to be save it private ryan saving private ryan that's my secret like right, idea right, right, of right. like every single critic wants like every war film needs to be the most sobering thing ever imaginable and it's like mm-hmm. That's a very restricting element to a genre, so I don't, I don't quite. Agree. They want to make veterans cry, like, right? Essentially, where it's sort of that's like, what critics, yeah. I think, sometimes are so focused on, yeah. which is like, yeah. uh, man, the demo should make, make me cry because I don't need a fucking movie to do that shit. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, right, 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 exactly. right, 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 right. Because you can sort of hear that those stories sometimes with same Pride Ryan, like there were like World War Two veterans that were just right. losing it. It's like okay, you can't like have that effect with every. You know, like Fury oh. wasn't having that effect. <laughs> like, right. There was that. There was a movie oh. about this year, Tarantino, a dog, a little, little yeah, buddy comedy yeah. with a dog. I was balling, man. Right. I, I, I don't need a fucking right. Ryan to get my feelings going about what I went through. I don't need that. I don't need that bullshit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just, I still gotta see that. Yeah, I gotta watch it too. Oh, um, well, Vice, thank you so much for coming on. This yeah, was great. Thank you for being uh, here. This is an absolute pleasure. I've always wanted you on the pod, and I'm so glad uh, we finally were able to make it happen. Uh, where can everyone find you on the internet? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm in a couple places. I'm on Instagram at Bifictus, looking hot. I got my pictures of my barbecue, and my shirt, and te- my muscle shirts going on. You gonna love that. I'm on Letterboxd, of course, at Bifictus as well. Where I have, as I mentioned before, I have my list of war films. So right now, I have a, uh, I have a running list of war films of each year, starting from 2015. So yeah, take a look at that at Bifictus on Letterboxd, and you see from each year uh, some highlights that I thought were notable films about war worth worth checking out. 
And of course, I'm on Twitter uh, all the time. I was just talking shit. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jack Eight Draper. I'm I'm on Letterbox Jack Draper Seven. Uh, I have writing on film at the Boston Hustle, and next week we go back to our traditional. Oh, this film is not available anywhere, but I found a rip of it on YouTube. Uh, for well, I, I, I did iTunes, cool. so um, you know I, you yeah. can still rent it if you want. But also the YouTube YouTube yeah, is available. Yeah, available for rentals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, next week is our traditional guest choice format uh, from any genre, and we are doing our second. Uh, Coen Brothers of the four that we have available with Hail Caesar and Oscar Goff from Boston Hustle will be here for that. I have not seen it. That'll be an interesting film. Uh, everyone follow me at Birds of Clay on Twitter and on Letterboxd. You can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clay Williams. You can follow the podcast Twitter account at ETT Pod. You can send us an email at exiting through the 2010s at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Please be good to yourself. Stay safe. Uh, And as always, we'll catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s.